All right, we're live. Uh, welcome everyone uh, back to another episode of what is now the GTM Kickback. Uh, we got a tremendous guest today for episode 37, Mr. Jeff Kerchick. I said that right, Kerchick? Kerchick, that's right. Yeah, very few people get that. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Good, man. Good. Thank you for joining us. Um, this is soon to be the biggest go-to-market leadership interview podcast in the world. So I'm glad you're here for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man. You've got a tremendous background in the space. You've been in sales leadership, software, and uh, kind of a thought leader, and I guess just people in general <laughs> for quite some time. You're an author. You're a multi-time um, startup leader and actually seen a few exits. So I'm excited to talk with you and excited specifically about our topic today that I know you've been interested in for a while, done a lot of collateral on and um, feel passionate about. So the importance of presenting an honest and true version of yourself, uh, I guess, in life and then more specifically in sales, which you've done successfully for so long. So um, I know it's a little bio, but do you want to kind of self-introduce and tell people who you are, what you're doing? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Jeff Kerchick. I've been working in sales for about, I guess, 11 years now. Um, I studied English and creative writing when I, at, at Princeton, and I had a lot of folks that kind of made fun of me because, you know, I was like, you know, how are you going to get a job? Uh, are you going to you know, end up being a teacher or whatever? No, no, I didn't really even know what I was going to do after college. <laughs> I wasn't really intentional about it, but I fell into a sales role, a tech startup, and kind of just fell in love with it. I really liked this idea of having the ball in my hands and being able to, you know, quote unquote, write my own paycheck. Um, and you know, most of my career, I spent uh, seven and a half years as the uh, first employee and head of sales for Nextcaller, which is a Y Combinator company that was acquired by Pindrop back in March. Um, and I just recently took a, a, a new VP of sales role for another company in the contact center industry that I'll be formally announcing later this week. Um, but yeah, besides that, I'm really interested in, in sales. You know, I wrote the book, uh, authentic selling, how to use the principles of sales in everyday life back in December. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of men, you know, mentorship with SV Academy and, uh, co-op careers and, and things like that. So very passionate about helping, uh, aspiring sales professionals. Well, congratulations on all the successes so far, man. And I'm sure it's just the tip of the iceberg to come. Um, you said sort of the iconic line, I guess, and this will lead us into our first topic. You fell into sales. I'm guessing like most people in the world, like you didn't have the intention of getting into that when you came out of college or university or whatever that is. Tell me about your first introduction to sales. How exactly did you fall into it? And then I guess even more so, like what was your impression of sales and what success looked like that you needed to be uh, when you just started? Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I, when I was looking for jobs, you know, senior year of college, I, I, like I said, I wasn't very intentional about it. I, I ended up interviewing for like consulting jobs and I was actually reflecting on this recently about how stupid I sounded in some of these interviews, some of the questions they asked where I had some of the worst possible answers. Cause I just wasn't, um, I, I didn't have the skill set, you know, to be interviewing for those types of jobs. I was looking at finance jobs and, and all the stuff that I was just completely unqualified for. So I was all, I was all over the place, teaching jobs and sports. I remember I came across this job on the Princeton career website. It was a startup in Boston. Um, sounded like it was like a fun culture. And I, well, I just remember there was a line in there, something about writing your own paycheck, like the harder you work, the more money you'll make. 
And that really appealed to me because I, um, you know, for the lack of intentionality I had back then, I, I, I worked really hard. Um, so I made up for it with like really good work ethic. And so I really liked this idea that the ball would be in my own hands or in my own court. Um, and so I, I worked at this company called Scavenger, it became Level Up and eventually was acquired by Grubhub for about $400 million years later. And I was selling this mobile gaming product to colleges and universities. Um, and so I actually ended up being the leader of the largest vertical in the company, which was our higher education vertical. Within about six months of joining, it was kind of like a really serendipitous landing spot for me because I ended up getting, it was kind of um, uh, by happenstance, the company pivoted like right after I joined, but they were still retaining the revenue from their old product. So it like created this opportunity for me to have this immediate leadership role based on the company's pivot. And my impression of what successful selling was back then was very different than how I view it now. But back then I just viewed it as being like charismatic and being like just really good with people and being like a smooth talker and, and just being interesting, you know? And I just thought that that's what would get people excited is kind of, you know, being able to talk to them in, a, in an intelligent way or, or something like that. So my view of it was really centered around myself um, and, that, and that changed over time. Tell me, I guess, a bit about how that's changed and, and where you are now, like what experiences led to this more authentic version of sales and self that you have. Yeah. Um, so I remember actually in my next company, we did a sales training and the CEO of the company asked everybody, like, what's the most important skill to have in sales? And everybody was guessing and nobody got it right. And uh, he said the answer was listening. And when he said that, yeah, that that was what the answer was, I felt stupid because it, it, it you know, when you think about it, that it, it really is, seems like it should be intuitive that that would be the answer. Like you can't sell anybody anything unless you really understand what they need, right? You need to be good at listening. And so that was like the beginning of my, my shift in mindset. You know, I think it was, I was probably 25 years old at this point. And I started to understand that sales is not about me at all. Sales is about the customer. And um, I think from there, it kind of slowly evolved. And, you know, I was always interested in genuinely helping my customers. Um, like, the, the, you know, I, I think that the reason I like sales is because I like helping people. But I think that, you know, even if you have the right intentions, you still need to have the right skill set. So even if I had the right intentions all along, um, I was thinking about what, what success looked like the wrong, the wrong way. Success, you know, hinged on my behavior. And uh, very little bit, very little on the customer's behavior. And really, success is all about the customer and their behavior. So um, that's when that's when things started to change for me. And it's where I started to view this idea of like authenticity um, about. Uh, sorry about the dog. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I started to I started to see this idea of like authenticity as being very important because the same way that you treat like a friend or a family member is the way that you would want to treat a, a customer. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, and you've written a whole book about it. Yes, <laughs> That's just yeah. This last December, Authentic Selling, How to Use Principles of Sales in Everyday Life. Uh, I guess, dive a little bit into it. What inspired you to like actually write you know, a full book about this topic? I mean, front to back, it's a big feat. So congrats to that. Thank you. Yeah. So I would say there were a few um, factors that were involved in that. So you know, like I mentioned at the beginning, I, I focused on English and creative writing in college. I wrote this creative thesis when I was in college. Um, I've always had this this passion for writing. Um, I'm going to be writing a second book. Uh, in fact, I'm just going to working on that now. And 
Um, I wrote, you know, I, I've been maintaining a blog and eventually I want to become a screenwriter. So I, I want, I knew that I had a, uh, I needed to find a way to, to marry that into my career now, you know, or otherwise just never do it. And um, I figured a, a business book would be the, the least risky way to make that jump because it's related to what I'm already doing. So it's not like I'm just dropping everything and writing a script or a screenplay. <laughs> That'd be very risky, but something that's married to my current career kind of allowed me to take that risk while still advancing my current career. So that was number one. Number two is the pandemic, you know, created an opportunity in a window in a way. I mean, obviously I'm not happy the pandemic happened, but um, I had a lot of free time and I was stuck inside and I didn't really, you know, I didn't really have any excuses not to pursue this. Yeah. And then I think the third thing, um, there's maybe two other reasons. The third is like, I've been doing training and, you know, I've, I've developed all these ideas over time, but I would have to kind of keep repeating myself every time I'd be training new hires, like every six months or something. And I figured if I codified a lot of this stuff, um, it might be valuable for others because it was working for me. And then last but not least, and this, this is often, I think something that surprises people. Um, but a lot of the motivation for the book really had nothing to do with sales uh, or anything related to it. It was just an observation that um, like our, our political dialogue in the United States has become really fractured and um, every, everything becomes political. Um, like even as we speak, you know, there's a horrible situation going on in Afghanistan and naturally there's like finger pointing about like whose fault it is and things like that. So everything that happens becomes um, everyone's ego gets involved very quickly and people have this like need to be right about things. And I noticed this and I noticed people calling each other names and like just not really engaging in a really thoughtful way. And I thought to myself, you know, what if people learned how to act like salespeople, if they had sales acumen and could act with empathy and, you know, get their ideas rejected and be okay with it and, you know, seek to understand rather than just tell somebody, you know, why your ideas are good ideas. Um, and I thought maybe that if people learned sales acumen, that their conversations would actually become stronger. So the book is really for, for everybody. Um, it's one of those rare sales books that's like not super technical and like designed for somebody who's already in the field. This is, you can read this as a sales rep um, or as just like somebody who works in, as a teacher or in a hospital or something. The, the, the lessons in the book are applicable for all walks of life. Yeah, absolutely love it, man. Well, I guess a, a bit of the synopsis is talking about applying authenticity to not just sales practices, but life as well. Just like you just said, trust and honesty, I guess, from the outside looking in, like most people don't take that as a common theme for sales professionals. Mm -hmm. What do you sort of take of that? How do you think it's changed over time? Because I, I think at least from 10 years ago to now, it, it seems like a much more value-based system of sales mm -hmm. at least in SaaS or software, sort of the world and technology that we sit in. Um, have you seen that same trend and, and how do you see it continuing? So I think you're right. Uh, I, th I think both are, both can be true at once. I think you're right that there's, it's more of a value-based selling uh, mantra now because the information is all readily available for the most part. Information is more easily distributed. So the job of the sales rep is to figure out how to provide, you know, more value and, and optimal value. But at the same time, um, I talked about this early in the book, people simply work with people with whom they trust. Um, and so like, think about the example I give is like, if you have a baby, 
and you need someone to babysit your kid, you might have a best friend who you, you know, get drinks with all the time or like your, your, or, or your, your mother, right? Like your mother might not be the most exciting person. You might not go hang out with her in Las Vegas, but you probably trust her more than the friend that you do all your drinking trips with, right? So you're probably going to ask her to babysit your kid and not your friend if you had a gun to your head, if you had to pick one. So, you know, sometimes the less sexy option is the, the best option because you want to work with people with whom, you know, that, that, that you trust. And um, authenticity is about presenting an honest version of yourself. And that, that includes if you're like not a great person, like if you're not um, exhibiting all the best qualities, but you're honest about it. And like the, one of the examples I give, not in the book, actually, but just in some of these interviews is um, Dennis Rodman. Okay. So like Dennis Rodman is authentically strange. He's like a very weird guy, but he owns it. You know, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't pretend to be someone, one different. And, um, you know, uh, it's not, I I don't, you know, I'm I'm not thrilled that he's best friends with the North Korean dictator, but I think it does say something that a guy who wants nothing to do with anyone in our country befriends this guy, probably because he perceives that he's honest in the way of, of everything that he does. So when he says, I want to be your friend, um, it comes across as being realistic because the guy always says what he feels, right? He doesn't hold back. And so I think it's like, you know, that's an example. Again, I'm not condoning, you know, what's going on in North Korea. It's horrible, but it, it's, it's to highlight this example about how even the most polarizing people and people who hate us as like a culture will still want to be friends with you if you are incredibly authentic and because they perceive that you're being honest about everything. And so that that's true in sales too, right? Because if I'm selling a product and I start off by telling the customer all the things that we can't do, then that might sound intuitively that that's bad, but actually what's going to happen is that the customer, when I start telling them about what we can do, they're going to trust me more because I've, I've gone out and said all the bad things. There's nothing to hide. So if I go and tell you now that we can do all these amazing things, you're probably inclined to believe me that we can do it. Whereas if you only talk about the good things, what basis do you have to understand that that person's being honest? I mean, you don't have any sort of mechanism that, that allows you to assess their level of transparency. So that's my idea on this is that when you start to view people as being honest and all the things and the way that they present themselves, naturally you will give more weight to what they're saying. Um, and, and when they start saying the things that are helpful or, or beneficial for you, you'll give that greater weight than like for the average person. That's my philosophy. Yeah, absolutely, man. So obviously you're putting a lot of this thought into practice. You just gave a couple of good examples there. I was listening back on one of your previous interviews. You, you talked about authenticity and sort of a, a rep coaching type situation where commonly you'll see reps asking a lot of questions with intending the answer to be yes, as opposed to getting value or some sort of intel or information that's going to be actually helpful to push the conversation along and, and create a, a meaningful, you know, situation for both parties. Um, I feel like a lot of salespeople kind of tying back don't have the impression of honesty and trust and being transparent in those specific situations. Maybe people mm-hmm. think it's a good thing as a person, of course, but when it actually comes down to it, people struggle to do it. So how, I guess, do you help people get past that, I guess, wall? Maybe it's a, like sort of an ego or a barrier or just some sort of long 
standing impression that most people have that it's harder to put these into actions than it is to talk about them a lot of the time. So how are you helping people get there? Yeah, there's a couple of things that I do. I mean, so uh, it's a really counterintuitive response, but I encourage people to care less because what happens is we, we all have this short-sighted agenda for ourselves. So I think about if I were to ask you, let's say we worked at a company together and I asked you, you know, what, like, why are you here? Like what motivates you? The wrong answer isn't some, some answer that has to do with the company. Nobody just like, no, nobody's life mission is to make their company successful. Making their company successful trickles down to making the individual successful, which allows that individual to go off and do things in their life that they want to do, right? And so we, we have this way of tricking ourselves into finding the utmost importance of things that are like right in front of us in our lives. So for example, you know, if I'm selling something, my brain is going to say to myself, like, I need to be successful at selling the stuff so that I can get on with doing these other things in, in my life. And I think that that's a, a horrible mistake because for, for one thing, you know, there, there's many paths to get to where you want to get in your life. And, and there are a lot of obstacles that can become um, you know, meaningful to, you know, creating success in the future. Um, but the other thing too, and not to sound really existential, but we really don't even know why we're here. You know, we don't know what our purpose is. We're like specks of dust in the universe. And so when we put so much gravity and weight on everything that we're doing, we're kind of like allowing our ego to trick ourselves into some sort of inflated sense of importance. And so if people are able to detach themselves from the outcome, in other words, um, to care less about what the, what the customer is going to ultimately say, they will naturally find themselves asking the right questions. Because if you start to look at that customer as somebody who needs help, somebody that you want to make their life better, as somebody who's really no different than you, somebody who has a goal for their life uh, that they want to achieve, and to figure out whether or not you can help them get there, um, then you will naturally find yourself asking things that are actually of use to helping that customer. And a lot of people don't think that way because they have an agenda. They're thinking like, all right, what question do I need to ask to fulfill my agenda? And that's where they fall into traps. And a lot of times those questions are just very obvious. It's like, oh, well, who's the decision maker? Like who, who, who writes the check and stuff like that. That's not grounded really in understanding the customer. That's grounded in understanding how do I close the deal? Um, so I think that you just have to be smart about it. And you know what I found is that when you, ask the right questions, naturally, you'll actually end up getting the information you would have been asking for anyway. When, when people start to trust you and they really want to get a deal done, they're going to tell you who needs to sign off on the deal because they want, they're equally invested in it. They're just going to, they're going to volunteer that information. It'll, it will come organically. Yeah. So I find that you need to, you need to try to detach yourself from the outcome and you need to coach reps on that by reminding them about like what it is that they're really searching for in life because it's never the job, you know, being successful at the job doesn't, isn't the end all and be all for them. It's a stepping stone. Um, and so that's, you know, I always ask them like, why are you here? And I'll ask them five times because I want to get to the real answer, which has in, in that real answer should have nothing to do with the job that they're performing. Yeah. It's a very um, stoic approach, I guess yeah, I'd say. More about understanding than it is about, you know, actually trying to get a deal done or, or create some sort of action. Yeah, uh, that's awesome, man. I guess it being sort of a, a stoic methodology, like that's generally hard to instow in people early on in the career, early on in, in any sort of endeavor. So 
you've worked with early stage reps, maybe even like fresh college grads or whatever it is in, in your history as a leader. How do you do that for someone early on? Because like you mentioned earlier, it took you a couple of years in sales to sort of figure this out. Uh, and, and you think you've got, I guess, the sauce that you want to inject into other people and, and help them find it earlier. But is that difficult to instill in people early in their careers? What do you do to make that happen? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I really love working, like if there's any group of people I love working with the most, it's like people at the very beginning of their sales career, which are typically SDRs. Um, I find that a lot of times this is true for myself too. Like I talked about the lack of intentionality that I had when I was looking for jobs and things like that. I, I find that a lot of times people are not really aware of what they what they really want in life. They're not thinking about it. So like you might graduate from college and, and you might say, well, I need to get a job. And like, you, you know, the reason why you need to get a job is often not even scrutinized enough. It's just that like everybody gets a job and it's just a thing that you need to do. And then it's like, well, I want to work in sales for maybe some of the reasons that that I mentioned earlier, like I get to be my own, I get to be my own person or I can make a lot of money or I like helping people, whatever. But, th but that's still not like getting to the root of what, you care about, right? And so people, I often need to ask them like multiple times, like, well, what is it that you ultimately want to do? Like for me, it has nothing to do with sales. What I want to do is become a screenwriter someday. And I'd like to start my own company. And the re and like the reason for that is because I want to make the largest civil impact that I can. I want to have like a big effect on other people's lives and as many people's lives as I possibly can. And so Grounding myself in that actually puts less emphasis on like what I'm doing now, because what I'm doing now is like helping me get to that point. It's, it's allowing me to accrue enough wealth and financial independence that I can pursue those real dreams that I have. And so I think when you show people that when you build an awareness in them around what it is that they're really chasing, they're not, they're no longer dug into the minutiae of what they're doing every single day and obsessive about, um, you know, obsessive about like every single result, they're thinking about like, how am I tracking towards this bigger picture, this thing that I really want for myself. And when, when you look at it from a bigger picture lens, you're less hung up on the, on every single thing that's going on. It allows you to take a, a deep breath a little bit to take a step back and to treat that interaction in the way that you really should, you know, would want to treat it. It's incredible, man. It, it's awesome. It, it's really high level stuff. It, it's hard to grasp in a lot of ways. And it's cool that you've been able to do it so quickly and, and help impact a lot of people already in your career uh, to do the same. I, I guess I know we're getting to time here. So to sort of wrap us up, key takeaways for others, whether it's actions, ideas, or methodologies that you've learned over your career and, and sort of summation and everything we talked about that can help others humanize their sales process, work to become more transparent and more honest. I think everyone knows outright those are good things, but like I said, a bit harder to actually practice. What can people do like starting right now? Yeah, um, a lot, I guess. Um, so... I would say the number one thing is to not be afraid of being yourself. Um, and that includes even in your cold outreach, you know, being, I think being very different can be a good thing. Um, and I talk about that in like this chapter about cold emailing and being like, 
Weirder Than Waldo is the name of the chapter. Um, I think that people should think less. I, I know this is like very, you know, simpleton type stuff here, but I, I encourage people to try to, 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 to embrace being themselves a little bit more and not, and not to be obsessive over like, what is the thing that I need to say right now? And like, try to put themselves in the mindset of treating that customer like a friend that they want to help. Um, but with that too comes a level of honesty and that, that cuts both ways. You know, there's a chapter in my book called the customer is not always right. And um, the, you can probably guess what that chapter is about, but the gist of the chapter is that sometimes customers are unruly and they, you know, they, they don't treat you well, or they, they ask for things that are completely unreasonable and you need to be honest with them about how it makes you feel. And um, in doing so, you'll actually build a better relationship because if you just constantly don't tell, you know, think about any relationship, if you never told the other person how you really feel, that relationship wouldn't go very well. So, um, you know, those are the things people are doing is to, is to like unlearn this idea that they have to be a yes person or, um, or, or whatever, and to just be raw and honest with people and treat them, you know, this way it might not work every single time. Like any philosophy, it's, it's the law of averages. And my sense is it works over, you know, a large sample set. Uh, there are some people who you might stand up to who are very stubborn people and it won't go well, but at the same time, like those are people that you probably didn't want to work with. You know, let's just be honest. You want to work with those types of people. So um, yeah, those are a few things that I would, that I would encourage people to, to think about uh, moving forward. Well, cool, man. Well, this is all incredibly insightful, fantastic advice. And just, you've got a really cool and, and obviously authentic like methodology for everything that you've done so far in your career. So congrats to all the successes. Congrats on, I guess, the book just even recently published. Um, and thank you today for joining us, man, on the, the GTM kickback. Where can the people find you? Where can we find your book? Anything else you'd like to plug before we shut off? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I have a website, jeffkirchick.com. Um, there's links to my book, consulting, my online course, all that stuff is right there. Uh, the book is also available on amazon.com, um, Authentic Selling, How to Use the Principles of Sales in Everyday Life. Cool. It'll all be linked in our Spotify bio here. So uh, please guys go and check it out. Um, I think it'll definitely be helpful for everyone. But thank you again, Jeff. I appreciate the time, man. Let's do it again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I would love to be back. Thank you for uh, thank you for inviting me on. Thanks so much.